Yes, hello there and welcome to Join Up Darts. This is an archive show, which means that I'm not here at the moment, but it's, it's all pre-recorded. But it does give you just a glimpse of what's been happening on the iTunes number one business entrepreneur show since we launched. Now, this show is different and you'll hear laughter, tears, shocking stories, real life turmoil, and of course, the kind of success blueprint that will change your life forever. If you want the dream life, then all the answers are here. Now, these are the old episodes, so to get right up to date listening to the latest stuff, then simply search Join Up Dots, click subscribe, and never miss an episode again. And of course, over at joinupdots.com, you can get instant access to our free 12-day podcasting course or loads of amazing free downloads to kickstart your own entrepreneurial journey, all made by my own fair hand. So let's get on with the show. You've got a lot of catching up to do after all. Enjoy. When we're young, we have an amazing, positive outlook about how great life is going to be. But somewhere along the line, we forget to dream and end up settling. Join Up Dots features amazing people who refuse to give up and chose to go after their dreams. This is your blueprint for greatness. So here's your host, live from the back of his garden in the UK, David Ralph. Good morning, world. How are we? How are we in the world of Join Up Dots? I hope you're good, and I hope you're getting more motivational and inspired every single time you listen to these shows, because, boy, we've had some great conversations recently. I, I, you know, I'm doing this as a daily job, but I'm inspired to take it to the highest level possible, and certainly from the emails and the comments that I'm getting, you guys are as well. Now, you are going to be inspired by today's chat, because he is somebody who has zigged and zagged with the best of them. He is the go-to man if you have a band or interested in creating music but don't know the first thing about really getting it out there. Being in the music industry in the online world since way back in 1982, our guest at first had the desire to be the main man himself, strutting the stage like, well, I suppose John Bon Jovi or Bruce Springsteen. But as we find time and time again on Join Up Dots, life had other ideas for him. Now, six months ago, he released a book called Six Figure Musician, How to Sell More music get more people to your shows and make more money in the music business and as the title suggests it was written for musicians and the people who work with them managers record labels etc and he's built up that sort of knowledge to be able to produce that work because during the first few years he was able to work on promotions by several big acts no doubt Bush, Run DMC and others, and the names have got bigger from there. But working with the established is not what excites our man. As he says, I'd rather build something than add on to it. In my opinion, helping somebody go from zero to 10,000 records sold is much more life-changing than helping somebody go from 100,000 to a million. Plus, going from zero to 10,000 records requires more skill. And I love a challenge. Well, let's give him a challenge as we start joining up the dots of his life with the one and only Mr. David Hooper. How are you today, David? Fantastic. Thank you, David. You are a zigger and a zagger with the best of them. You really are, haven't you? Because on that sort of introduction, there's so many points that I kind of look at and think, right, that's interesting. I'm going to dive into that. And that's interesting. I'm going to dive into that. So the first thing that I'm going to dive into really is that you are based in one of my favorite towns on earth, a place that I've had more than enough alcohol consumed and got up the next day (laughs) and go on again. Nashville. (laughs) Yes, sir. Music City, USA. What got you into Nashville? Because I tell you, I've, I've had some stories in Nashville, and I was talking about this the other day. Tootsie's Wild Orchid Bar, it has brought me down to my knees many times in that bar. Um, yeah. It's, it, it, <laughs> it is my favourite bar on earth. If, if anybody is looking for a drink and has a few quid, then get a flight over to Tootsie's because it is, it's the bar that will, it will make you a man, even if you're a woman, won't it, David? It has brought a few people to their knees, I'm sure. You know, you may not know this, but Tootsie's actually used to connect to Ryman Auditorium. It opens up to, it's a venue here known as the Mother Church of Country Music, where the Grand Ole Opry started, and they still have big shows there. And all the country music singers used to go over to Tootsie's, play pool, have a drink in between shows, 
or while somebody else was on stage. So yeah, it's got a long storied history in Nashville, still going strong, and it sounds like you've experienced it firsthand. I experienced it big time one night. We we got in there, and as I say, we, we drank a bit too much, I'll be honest with you. And um, we were standing right at the back on the lower level, because you go in there, and it kind of goes lower level, and then goes upstairs. And I didn't actually um, encounter upstairs. I, I was unable to mount the stairs due to the inability of my legs to actually work <laughs> as they were designed to work. But I did have the ability to reach into my wallet and hand money to this band up on the stage who for $20 would play any song that you wanted. And we were testing them out big time. Now, if you think $20, that's a lot of money. That's like a night out, really, that I could do, you know, about 18, 17 pounds. I wouldn't dream of paying that much just to test out a band. But obviously alcohol was consumed so i um reached into my wallet and the first one that we said my, my mate said do ring a fire by johnny cash i went oh you don't want to do that one they're obviously going to be able to do that one they're in nashville anyhow the 20 pounds goes into the bucket ding 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 and off they go ring a fire johnny cash so i thought right okay i'm gonna do a good one what one will a country and western band not be able to do and so i thought right honky tonk women by the Rolling Stones. I thought, they're not going to be able to do that. Bang, straight on the button, honky-tonk women blasting out. So we thought, right, okay, let's get a good one. Let's get a good one. So we found Country Roads by John Denver. And we thought, they're not going to be able to do that. That's an old song. And the bloke got up, he said, look, I've never done this song before. I'm not even sure I can do it, but I can ruin any song for $20. $20 goes in the bucket and bang. And now that song, Country Roads, Take Me Home, Country Roads, has become my anthem to Nashville. Whenever I'm in Nashville, I need to hear that. And it takes me back to that <laughs> night, throwing the money into the bucket with abandonment and drinking more alcohol than I'm physically Albert to consume. It was a marvelous night, sir. Well, you may be excited to hear that Tootsies actually broadcasts their bands live via webcam. You can watch them online. I think it's tootsies.com. I'm going to do that. You may be able to even phone them up and do a request from London. I'm going to do that. I'm not going to pay any money. I say you've had enough out of me this time. Give me a freebie. <laughs> Uh, I'll, pro right. I'll promote you on my show, and that's all you're getting out of me. But, um, yeah, if Tootsies, I'm going to put that on the show notes. So if anybody fancies sort of um, a night at home watching this band that I've been talking about, then please go over there because it's going to be amazing. But the show isn't all about Tootsies, no matter how much I love the place, because it's about you. And so how did you actually, were you raised in Nashville, or did you end up in there because it's kind of music central? Born and raised in Nashville, and that's actually what got me into the music business because that's what everybody does here. It was kind of like being in Detroit. Everybody was making cars for a while. And here in Nashville, we do music. And I started playing music, singing music, did my first session when I was five years old and took it from there. Can you remember what your first session was when you, when you got up on stage? Well, this was a recording session in the studio. And I do remember it because it was long and boring. And I thought I would never do it again. It was awful. Not very entertaining at all. And it was for a children's album, a, like a Christian. There's a lot of contemporary Christian music here, and it was a contemporary Christian, kind of a vocal kids chorus, kind of uh, Barney kind of thing. Like kid, you know, kids music. Can't go wrong with Barney. Bar <laughs> can you? Well, I don't know. I never, I never got to hear that one. I don't know that it was ever released. But uh, yeah, yeah, it was uh, my first introduction into the music industry. Was it the, I love you, you love me, that, that one that Barney does? It was something like that, but it probably mentioned Jesus or God or something like that, yeah. I love Jesus, you love, yeah? Yeah, yeah. We, uh, we, we do that a lot. It's a huge, a lot of people don't know this about Nashville, huge publishing town. And not only for music publishing, but also for book publishing, and a lot of it is religious-based. The buckle of the Bible belt is where we are. So, so what, for... for people just before we sort of move on and really delve into your history for people that are not aware of nashville other than country music it's a lot more than it than that isn't it oh yeah absolutely yeah this is really an entertainment town we've got a brand new well two seasons a national television show about the city called nashville which if you're in the united states you've probably seen it but yeah it's definitely more than just music it's book publishing 
it's the business of music. It's a producer town, really. A lot of big acts have recorded here that you would never know because they're not country music. Bands like Megadeth, Elvis recorded a lot of his stuff here. I mean, the huge, huge acts, huge pop albums have been recorded here. And, and Neil what, Young. What, what is your music, your musical taste? If you were driving along the, in the car, is it country that you put on or do you put no. on? No, absolutely not. Probably everything but country. I'm really an R&B fan. I love old soul music, Memphis soul music. And really, this is going to sound cliche, but really everything. I don't listen to a lot of rap music. I don't listen to any country music. But really everything. Growing up as a musician, I learned how to appreciate all types of music. Everything from Al Green to Led Zeppelin to classical music, jazz, all of it. So, so what is it about country music? You don't like divorce and dead dogs. What, what, what is it? <laughs> you know what it is? The older country stuff, the kind of stuff that you might hear out of Tootsie's where it was working class people. My father was also born in Nashville and actually grew up around some of these guys. He knows Brenda Lee. Brenda Lee grew up in a trailer park and went to school with my dad. That's an example of where country musicians used to come from. She was always on tour even when she was a kid. And nowadays it's just produced music. They take somebody who's a model or who's an actress and songwriters write the stuff, studio musicians play it. And to me, it's just not very authentic. It's produced for mass consumption in the Midwest. So so you like the dirty kind of recording? Well, yeah, I, I want to hear somebody. Absolutely. And to take it back to Christian music, something that we refer to all the time on my podcast, on Red Podcast, when you've got somebody that's not being authentic and they come off really too too polished we call it christian singer hair because you'll see these guys that are christian musicians christian rock and roll bands they're just a little bit too clean i think what makes musicians great i'll give you a great example music example acdc it's so raw if you listen to the first acdc record if you listen to it in headphones the guitars are out of tune they're not in tune with each other and that's what makes those albums great i like the raw nitty gritty just dirty feeling of it because it's real it's a moment it's something that we can share because we're not perfect either you're of a similar age to me and so you went through the 80s do you remember an artist called rick astley oh sure yeah absolutely yeah very uh, great singer yeah amazing singer i saw him in concert recently and um he did highway to hell by acdc <laughs> can, can you imagine that <laughs> did he pull it off he did yeah he got on the drums and he was drumming to an inch of his life while singing at the same time um yeah i feel like i might put that on the show notes as well because i'm sure that's on youtube there's always a, a video on youtube yeah but yeah I, I i agree with you and i think the key thing to what you were saying there david and it, it applies to every successful artist and entrepreneur businessman and anyone that i've spoken to over the last hundred plus shows is authenticity isn't it and i know it's a dirty word now being unique to yourself everyone talks about that but it does separate you from the rest of the crowd and in many ways it does make your life easier because you're playing directly to your inherent skills yeah i would agree with that i think the since we're being authentic i, I think that it is a buzzword right now and i think people try to kind of force what they call authenticity, which by definition makes it unauthentic, inauthentic. So yeah, I got I got mixed feelings about it, but I, I do think there's something to be said for raw emotion that comes from creation, that comes from a podcast like this, that comes from being on stage, that comes from music, certainly, any kind of performance, and not having everything so polished and perfect. Did you know when you're being authentic and you're not being a, a cliche of yourself? Because there is a certain point, isn't there, when artists um, start to buy into what people expect them to do and then play up on it. And that authenticity then becomes a caricature. Are, are you aware if that ever happens with the artist you work with or yourself? Yeah, yeah, definitely. It does happen because I think that with artist and this is really anybody this could be a blogger or a podcast or anybody who's got something that starts small and they grow it and they're being creative they do something and it works 
it gets more people involved, more people are wanting to see what's next, there's more pressure on the creator, and you start to second-guess yourself, and you start to play for the audience rather than do something that was working for you. And you, you kind of forget where you came from, and you start to try to second-guess yourself and just not really make good decisions, I think because you're so worried about failing rather than taking those chances, which is how you got there in the first place. So yeah, it, it, it definitely happens. It's something to watch out for. And I think there's, I think it's kind of the natural progression of things. I think everybody, you know, you start raw and then you go and you kind of mess things up a little bit and then you get back and find your, your true path. It's maybe like the third, third generation of uh, what you're doing. I, I, I'm a well. I used to be a big Elton John fan, and then I kind of went off the boil, boil with him. But I can see his music now, and even if you don't like Elton John, you have to sort of respect the man that he's been going for two hundred years, and um, he, he's still banging away at the piano. But if you listen to his music now, it's very similar to his very early stuff, and there's a kind of rawness to it, and it's a lack of production, and a lot of the music since I suppose I didn't. Johnny Cash did an album that was really stripped back to basics when he did Hurt. And then I know Neil Diamond did one. And there seems to be a production value that is now raw and open. And do you think that is when somebody is finding their real self, when it's all stripped down and all the production values that they might be hiding behind is taken away? You know, some of that I feel are it's due to trends in the music industry. There was a time when there was really big productions and orchestras would come in and then it got a little bit more what I would call lo-fi. So some of that I think has to do with trends. Some of it has to do with contracts that they have more creative control. Some of it has to do with making so much money they just don't care anymore. I, I don't know the answer to that question. I think it's an interesting one. And I think it's interesting to see creative and successful people and, and how they've navigated that, I think that can help us all navigate the things that we get into. But I think one of the interesting things is to think about how do you have that rawness, for example, let's say you have like New York Dolls, I don't know if you're familiar with them, or maybe let, here's another example from around that time, early Kiss, yes. the early 70s New York music. You know, that was pretty raw. When you listen to the first Kiss records, you can tell they were done on a budget. They had maybe five, ten days to get in the studio and do something. And then you listen to the later stuff, and does it have that urgency? Well, I don't know. The songwriting might be better, but they've got millions and millions of dollars to spend. Just the lifestyle in general, they're not starving, so they're not as hungry, they're not as young. There's a lot of things that can affect art and creation. So how do you keep in touch with that? I don't know. I will tell you this, that I think some people, certainly musicians, actors, creative people, kind of get into that starving artist syndrome, let's call it, where they think they have to go do drugs, they think they have to live a wild and reckless life. I don't think it comes from that either. So I don't know, but I, I know what it's not. And I don't think it's done through abusing yourself through drugs or something of that nature. There's a kind of romance, though, isn't there, in, in a bizarre, twisted way of the tortured artist who then, because he's so tortured, comes out with some amazing work of art that people look back and go, ah, yes, it's because he was doing this and he was on drugs and he was all that kind of stuff. It, it builds up the mystique, doesn't it? That, that yeah, yeah, but that's all marketing, though, because Nashville, the way this city was, was built and, and how the music business was built, it was all about marketing. It's not really about the music. The music has always existed, and it's been here. But this became a music center because of the marketing guys. And a lot of what we believe about music has to do with marketing. And a lot of what we have believe about creative people has to do with marketing. You probably heard the stuff about Sylvester Stallone selling his dog and writing the script from Rocky Absolutely, yeah. in like one night. And there's all sorts of things. And it's like, eh, if you're kind of in on, in on the inside, it doesn't really there's a lot of lying by omission let's say that there's a hint of truth to it but yeah we 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 uh, romanticize that kind of thing I, I think what you don't see and i think this is really really tough for bloggers for podcasters for creatives is that a lot of guys are i'll take it back to to kiss now i don't know about the the guys that are in the band now but the original drummer he'd been around for 10 years before he joined kiss 
So he'd been around since like the early 60s. A lot of musicians have been around 10, 12, 15 years. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about the hard work. We don't talk about the writer that had to write three or four screenplays that got ditched before one got accepted. We like to talk about the uh, instant success. That's a whole lot more fun. So I, I think there is romance. I, I think a lot of it has to do with our own marketing. Why do you think as humans, and I've touched on this in other shows as well because it, it interests me, but why do you think as humans we like to benchmark ourselves against success? We like to look at these people and think that it was so easy for them. And even if we start reading their biographies and we realise that for three years they had no money and they were scrimping around and they were you know, really struggling on, on every area that they turned, we still kind of go... It was easy for them. It's never going to happen to us. Well, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that when you're personally involved, it's accelerated and it's amplified. And when you get personally involved in creating something, it's easy to underestimate how tough it is to come out with a book, a great work of art, a blog, a podcast. So I, I think that we you know we th we don't have the full story so we kind of fill in the blanks but we also underestimate how how tough that stuff is how tough was your life it, looking back obviously you know this must be the pinnacle of your life being on join up dots you, ca you can't get any better than this um <laughs> no don't laugh david don't laugh i'm being yeah, serious there was, there was there was oprah larry king and join up dots you're, you're correct yeah i think I, and i'd like to have been put at the front there and oprah next you know you could have done that one um but how hard was your life going through it because when I was getting the um, the introduction together and joining up your dots, a lot of it seemed pretty systematic. It seemed that it flowed from one thing to another. But in all conversations, that was never the case. So how much effort did you have to put in to be able to get to the point when you, know, you could release your book and you were marketing for people and people were coming to you for your experience? Well, I think me ending up in the music business was somewhat just kind of dumb luck. I happened to be born in Nashville, happened to go to a school that was at the end of what we call Music Row, which are two streets, 16th and 17th Avenues in Nashville, full of publishing companies, full of labels. And just being around people, like I, I knew people that were successful in the music industry. You run into people here. It's just part of our culture. So I think that was just kind of dumb luck. As far as Difficulties, I think it's always difficult to start a business, to be successful at a business, to maintain a business. I've been doing this for about 20 years at this point. And yeah, there have been some lean times, lean times, man. And the opposite, like I've got to dig out of a hole just to get to zero kind of times. I don't know that it was tough, though, because I was so engaged in the work. And when you're busy working, it's not like I was, you know, lost in the desert for 400 years or something of that nature. And I wasn't doing anything. I was constantly working and looking back on it. And this may be just kind of, uh, I think this is probably me not being in the middle of it now. I can look back on it and just have kind of selective memory. But, yeah, it. Uh, I don't know that it's it's necessarily been that tough there have been lean times though can you remember some of the real lean ones is there a story that you can share with our listeners where you were just you know eating cold baked beans out of a tin and, and <laughs> yeah i'll give you one i was fortunate i was uh, I was, I was working for myself at, at this time so i was making a living the bills were being paid somewhat but i was putting everything that i had to get out onto the road and to get more clients. So I remember going down, I was getting ready to leave for Philadelphia and the flight was booked, the hotels were booked, everything is, is it's good. And I walked down to the bank, I live in an urban neighborhood or I did at the time. So I walked down to the bank to the ATM machine and I had to get some money out for maybe like cab fare or something. I, I got maybe 20, 30 bucks out, however much, I don't know. Just have a little bit of cash on me. And when you take your cash out of the ATM, it gives you a receipt. It says, well, here's how much you took out, and here's your balance. And I remember my balance was 12 cents. And it was kind of funny that it was just 12 cents, because to me, that was kind of even worse than zero. It's like, yeah, you're, <laughs> you got a little something, but it ain't much. 
And I remember going to uh, to the hotel. This is this is it's embarrassing to say, but I think it's it's part of it. Uh, I I think I you know I, I used my credit card. I think the credit card may have been maxed out at the time. I don't remember what the deal was because I got in the hotel and I used my credit card to uh, to get in, you know, to check in with the ID and everything. But I knew that I wasn't going to be able to pay for the hotel bill, not then. So I just walked out and <laughs> went back, caught my flight that was already taken care of, and I got home. And, of course, they billed me. It wasn't like it was going to be declined. I just didn't want to have to go through the the process of, paying for the hotel bill at the end and say, sorry, sir, your card is declined. And that yeah. was the only one. I didn't know what I was going to do. So I wanted to leave town. So yeah, there've been a few lean times like that, but they bill you for it and you eventually make the money, pay it all off and live another day. Does it make you stronger? Because one of the things that sort of worries me about my life is I've, I really haven't had any rough times. I've had times that have been difficult, but I've always been in employment i've always been able to pay my bills i've always been able to pay the bill you know go on holiday every year with a family and all that kind of stuff and i've been having these conversations where people have been giving me these really you know difficult stories where they were sitting in a car and they were just about to end their life um before they changed it to a positive and i kind of think to myself I haven't got anything like that in my life you know am i am do, do, do you need that is it is it does it give you something because you really have nothing left to lose but you go forward and you keep on going forward because you never want to go that far back and being in that kind of comfort zone that I've always lived in lived my life is that the real killer of dreams because you haven't got anything to prove well comfort can kill dreams certainly i will say this i think that once you have survived something another example of this i was in federal court and on the receiving end of a lawsuit. Very, very scary. But once you go through something like that and you see that you've survived, I think it does make the other things that come up easy to survive. You, you've probably known people that have been divorced or a lot of successful people, they've been through a bankruptcy. And once you find out that you're not going to die, it's pretty easy to push the gas a little bit harder the next time. I mean, it can it can be some some people some people I will say they they tense up they're so scared they're scared of going back there, but there there are two ways to look at it. I, I try to look at it as hey, it didn't kill me, so I'm good. Well, but that's the thing, isn't it? That is the thing. And listeners, listeners, listen to this. We've said this before, and you know I do repeat myself, but hey, I don't care. And um, it's a it's a daily show. But if you are in a job that you don't like, there are other jobs. And if you do leave a job and you go into another job and you still don't like it, then do another one. I think so many people think that the next move, the next transition, the next relationship has to be the one. They're frightened of actually giving it a go. And you've got to break a lot of eggs to make an omelette. You've got to be able to move on. You've got to try these things. And some things work, some things don't. Some things are mega successful. And you think, how was that so successful? It was almost like I was playing. I, I wasn't really doing anything. But that is what makes life intoxicating and that that comfort zone that we're talking about when you are just on a daily basis going through the motions because you don't really want to try anything that might rock the status quo that is the real killer of dreams and as david was saying it's not going to kill you it's very unlikely that leaving a girlfriend because she's she's a mental case is going to kill you unless she goes after you with a knife or something but that's a different story but everything else you can try and if it doesn't work you can move on to something else what do you reckon david yeah, I agree. I agree. I, I think that part of life, I try to look at business like a game. I look at marketing like a game, certainly, in that I've got something that I want to show you as valuable. You've got money. I want that money. And I try to present the value in a way that you want to give the money to me. Money is just a way of keeping score. I look at life in general as a game, too. You can't screw it up and you're not going to get it right. So you might as well go for it. Richard Branson, and I'm going to play a little, a little speech by Jim Carrey because I like this speech and it sort of cements what you were just saying. But Richard Branson says, I don't believe in work. I don't believe in play. It's just living. And he kind of blends the lot. So he earns his money by doing things that interest him and it makes him feel creative and all that kind of stuff. And that's really what, what 
life is all about I think now I think that's what life is all about and I spent years and years and years in corporate land just doing mind-numbing work just because it was a paycheck but now I think to myself no there's more to life than that and you don't have to settle for boring jobs just to pay the bills you can look at your passions you can find your authentic self and you can create paths and um, I'm going to play a little speech by Jim Carrey which really says that really really well and I love this so I put it into many of my shows now have a listen to this my father could have been a great comedian but he didn't believe that that was possible for him and so he made a conservative choice instead he got a safe job as an accountant and when I was 12 years old he was let go from that safe job and our family had to do whatever we could to survive I learned many great lessons from my father, not the least of which was that you can fail at what you don't want. So you might as well take a chance on doing what you love. What do you reckon about those words, Mr. Hooper? Yeah, I think that was great. I think that was great. I'm, I'm here in a city full of people that used to be songwriters and musicians or always wanted to be in, it was a shadow career. They watched it from the sidelines. So I, I've seen it. And I've certainly seen people that have had these steady union jobs, if you will, 10, 20, 25 years of the same company just let go. And they don't know what they're going to do. So, yeah, you can definitely, definitely fail at doing what you don't want to do. And I think you might as well go for it. I, I do think that with that said, it's, it's not, I mean, it's... it's it's two different things. If you really want to go for it, that's where the real risk in life, I think, is. Because if you, you know, you've heard the joke. It said, you need to marry an ugly woman because when she leaves you, just like all women will, you won't care. <laughs> and I think that's the same thing about getting a job that you don't like. It's a lot. It, that's playing it safe. And if you fail, you don't really have skin in the game. I think having skin in the game is very, very difficult because you actually care because if it doesn't work, then what? But, yeah, I, I agree with Jim. When, when did you know that you was on your right path, that the things that you do on a daily basis excites you? Because right at the beginning, you were just making it up. You were just finding your way and, and doing different things. And a lot of the kind of the talents, the natural vibe that you had morphed into something else. So was there a point when you kind of went, no, I do want to be John Bon Jovi. This is the dream. And I don't really want to be doing what I'm doing now. Or was it just a natural, oh, this is an idea and I actually quite like this? Yeah, I think it was a natural progression. I was working as a musician through college and a little bit after college, but the issue with me is I wasn't like a great musician. I was competent, but not great. I was able to fill venues, and people would say like, hey, you know, you're not that good. How are you filling these venues? And that's the element of being in a band. Being in a band is like running a business. You've got to have a product. You've got to bring people to your events. You've, it's just a micro business. And I really like the business end. I didn't necess necessarily like being on stage. I liked being in the studio and creating, but not a lot of the other things like loading in and loading in equipment or, you know, staying in smoky bars and things like that. So I, I think to me it was a natural progression. It's like, well, I really enjoy the creativity and I really enjoy some aspects of this, but the best thing about what I'm doing here that I'm good at is the marketing. So it's just a transition. Now, how I got into working with more entrepreneurs and other creative individuals, that came from people seeing what I was doing with musicians and saying, hey, you can do the same thing with us. All the techniques that you're using for musicians will also work with us. And then that was, I think that was also a pretty smooth transition. I don't, I don't think anything was like an aha moment or where I had to kind of go against the grain. It was just using my skills and saying, yeah, I could do that. And having a willingness to want to start over and a willingness to want to grow as, as a person and as a marketer because it would have been very comfortable for me to stay solely in the music business and just die here. That would have been really, really easy for me, but I don't want to do that. But but you must have had that that those limiting thoughts when you, you've been so ingrained in the music business and then a businessman, an entrepreneur, somebody totally different comes up and says, I'd like you to work with me. There must have been a bit in your head where you went, oh, no, no, I, I just deal with music. This is what I know. This is the safe approach before you actually then went into it and experienced that your skills could transition. Did you did you not have those kind of limiting thoughts at all? You know what? Not really, and, and here's why. Because, because 
the music industry was so affected by online downloads and piracy, if you will, when other industries started to come into that space, such as books, such as film and television. People were contacting me. So I was already working outside of the music industry. It was a slow transition and working with, again, creative entrepreneurs and creative companies. So it was, to me, it was just the next logical step. Now, here's where I did get caught up is that my identity was music-based. I own musicmarketing.com. People, when they think about me, think about the music industry. I host a syndicated radio show called Music Business Radio. <laughs> and, you know, you're hanging out with rock stars, and it's not uncommon for me to be out, and somebody will recognize me, or somebody, when they hear the voice, will recognize that. And that's happened in the weirdest places. And you think, man, am I going to give that up? Because it's that little bitty hit of you doing something right. And it's somebody that, you know, it's something that makes you special. It makes you somebody that people would want to be. And it's like, can I just leave that behind? So, yeah, there were some elements of that and forming my new identity as a new person. But as far as actual work, not really. It's fascinating, Batbo, that you, you almost a slightly sort of schizophrenic in that way, that you can actually create a personality that kind of works for that and a personality that works for that. And is that something that, is difficult to maintain or now has it just merged into one and you are who you are what do you mean who i am who i am well you are now david hooper and you've created the brand where people know you for all areas of your work but at the beginning when you were saying that you know they they expected you to be a musician person you must have projected what they expected to work in that environment. And then when you worked with authors or marketers or something, you must have changed your personality something so that they got the person that they expected in that environment. Is that true? Um, Sort of. I mean, the the reason that people expected me to work in, in music was basically my own marketing. And I could come in as kind of like the music guy and be something like a little bit different it's kind of like the new kid at school with the, the outside style or different haircut or different ideas. So in, in some ways, I, I could kind of ramp that up. It's like David can show up in jeans and a t-shirt. Oh, it's okay because he's in the music business. Yeah. That, that was kind of expected. So it wasn't like I was you know, trying to be somebody different and I was all corporate and wearing a suit and tie or anything. I actually kind of took, took the other side a, a little bit further maybe. You know, like come in with my hair dyed purple or something. So, oh, yeah, that's the music guy. And kind of give them what they wanted. Mm. And that came from the showmanship of me working with entertainers because that's what we do is we, I mean, I, I don't think that any musician necessarily likes purple or red hair, but that's what people expect from him. When did it become one, just David Hooper? When did you actually go, do you know, I'm not trying to play to any audience. I'm just being totally myself. Was, was there a key point? Well, I think I'm still there. And one of the things that's helped that out is just a body of work that's happened for 20 years of owning property, owning a music publishing company, having published some books, and having like an intellectual property portfolio that where I've got money coming in regardless. So I'm, I'm not beholden to a company or an employer like a lot of people would be. I've got a little bit more freedom than some people, and that's just because of the choices that I've made over the last few years. Are they wise choices nowadays, David, for for the sort of majority? As you were saying back on the conversation, there's risky choices now, and it seems the risky choice is working for the same company for 30, 40 years, whatever. Do you think that most people now, with the power of the internet and the power of building connections across the world, and the ability to start things very cheaply using online technology, is that the true route that majority of people should be going on? Because it's, it's the route that I want my kids to go on. I, I would dread that my kids grow up to work in an office for 30 years like I did, when I can now see from having these daily conversations that they have got a life that they can create. It just takes time, effort, and um, enthusiasm. That's a very good question, and another that I don't know the answer to. I can tell you this, that I am 100% certain, just like 100% of people 
don't need to go to college. Not everybody belongs there. I won't say that 100% of people need to do their own thing. I think there's some people that just don't have the tenacity. They don't have the skill set. They don't have the drive, the want. That's not to say that they couldn't develop those things. But some people, if you're going to play it small, if you're going to play it safe, you're better off getting a job. It's a much, much better place for you because otherwise you're just going to get kicked around. Now, if you're willing to get beat up a little bit, if you're willing to take risk, if you're willing to do the daily work, because it is slow and gradual process that it takes for you to become a great entrepreneur or self-employed person. It's not just like winning the lottery. One day you're not there and the next day you are. I, I think it's a great opportunity and I've never seen it fail. There's always room for people who are willing to do those things, but it's not for everybody. I kind of wish it was, but I take your point totally. I've worked with people who are just plodders. And in an organization, you need plodders. You need the people that are rock stars. You need the people that just sit there and they don't argue and they don't challenge the status quo and they just do their work. But I do think a lot of those people as well can actually make a better life for themselves by finding jobs within that job that they enjoy that plays to their strengths you know i've seen people that are put on sales jobs and they've got to make 100 calls a day they hate it but it's what they've been they've been told to do and i've seen other people that are sat on a desk where they've just got a load of paperwork and they plow through and you can see that they're clamoring for a bit of conversation and sort of um inspiration or whatever it is to actually challenge their passions and i think that is the shame when people are actually in employment they don't want to go down the entrepreneur route but they just lose their mojo and they get lost in these big organizations absolutely absolutely i have a it's an administrator that i work with an administrator would be like the people who handle the paperwork for the copyright of your of your publishing catalog and there is a woman there she, I wouldn't say that she's necessarily antisocial, but she doesn't have the ability to have a conversation like you and I are having a conversation. She prefers to be alone. She'd rather be alone. She likes to work where there's nobody around. There's no distraction. It's a perfect job for her. If you're somebody who's more talkative, there's a perfect job for you. Not necessarily being self-employed, but that's something that we absolutely agree on, that there's a, a perfect job for you. Some people want to be self-employed. Some people don't. But within either of those things, you could be a creative. You could be an administrator. You could be an accountant. There, there are different jobs within those that would be perfect for you. Uh, have you got children? No. So, if, right, hypothetical question then. If you did have a child, and I've got five of them, so you can share one of mine tonight. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Do you reckon that you would inspire them to go down a similar creative route as yourself or, you know, or one that they, as I was saying, I, I would love my son to be a dolphin trainer or, you know, um, just somebody that creates his own income. Because I think if you create your own income now, then you are safe to a point. Would you do that or would you say to people still, you, oh, your kids, you go to university, get your qualifications, you know, and go that route? Well, the best part about growing up in a music city like Nashville is you get to see that making a living from your creativity is possible. And I hope that what I would do for not only kids, but really for everybody that comes in touch with me, would be that, yes, it is possible. Just show you it's possible, that there's a guy who has done it because he's done it, you can do it. It's not impossible. So I, I would hope that I would do that. Now, what my kids would choose to do, that's going to be up to them. Not everybody would be, would be a, a match for, for creative living, let's say. But it would be possible or a possibility. Are there strong vibes between you and your five-year-old? That five-year-old that was in the um, in the choir or whatever it was in that boring recording studio, are you kind of doing stuff now that touches on the passions that you had as a little five-year-old, or was it that you was just put into that situation? You know, I think with that, I was just kind of put into the situation. I was going to a church, and that's what everybody did, and everybody here took music lessons, and that's just, you know, some some cities you've got a soccer program some cities you've got tennis whatever we had music 
So I think that was just luck of the draw, if you will. I will say this, when I got really serious in music and I was about 15, I think what that did for me that writing or radio or podcasting does for me now is it gave me a voice. So in that case, I would say, yeah, there are a lot of parallels there. Why do you like that voice? Why, why do you like sitting behind the mic? Because I'll be honest, I love this. I love this more than I've ever done anything before. It, it, even if I'm really tired, as soon as I press record, bang, it's like, I, I, you know, it, it's like rocket power flooding over me. So do you have that same kind of feeling? Do you come alive when you're doing these kind of things or is it uh, still a job to you because you've been doing it for so many years? <laughs> I've got something to say and it's different now than when it when I was a kid, like when I, I was a kid, you know, I was going through whatever kids go through and you feel like you're not being heard and you've got all these feelings that are going through you. And I just wanted to, to have somebody acknowledge them these days because of my work with musicians, because of my work with entrepreneurs, marketing work, I've got things that work and I think they will benefit people if they'll listen to me to help those people get their books out, get their art out, get their music out, get their podcast, get their blog out. So I'm very passionate about those things. And it, it, it's a different kind of want to get that message out there. But a lot of ways, it, it's the same thing. When you've got something that you think needs to be heard, speak it. Did you like listening to yourself when you first released your podcast? Did you, do you listen back to yourself now or do you just record, throw it out there and then that's it? Well, yeah, I'm listening to a lot of myself now because I'm doing all the edits for this new one. The, the radio show, I do not edit myself. And I've got an editor for that. And it's funny because those guys are always telling me, David, you need to do this, need to do this. It'll make the editing easier. It would have been great if I could have set in with those guys earlier on. I think I'd be a much better broadcaster than I am now. In what way? What, what kind of advice are they giving you? Well, for example, if you make a mistake, don't start in the middle of sentences. Pause, start the new sentence. It's easier to cut rather than splice two sentences together. Mumbling, running words together. Coming into the mic too hot when you're starting a sentence those are three of the big ones but i kind of like all that because i think it kind of becomes live it becomes a little bit more shambolic it, it's it's real again that there's certain shows that i have listened to and i listen to them but they're almost too polished now that they're that there's something gone from them because they're now uber successful and they're just going through the motions and I want to see the things slightly going wrong or the conversations that don't quite work or the ones where the, the, the guest argues back. I love that. I don't like it too much, actually. And, and I will actually say to him, do you mind? I am the host. You've got to agree with me sometimes. But it, it, it makes it sound interesting, doesn't it? If, you know, I, I had a lady on the show who I basically opened my mouth and she just went for me instantly. And although it was a little bit difficult at the time, part of me was going, this would be interesting you know this is this is this there's a spark here that's going to make a good show um and i kind of like that do you think that the polished final versions lose something if they're not careful yeah i think there's a fine line there's a fine line sometimes like with podcasting in particular you've got guys that don't do any edits and to me that's just sloppy they don't do any show prep they don't do any kind of any kind of planning. They just throw it up there and it goes on and on and on. And I think it doesn't do the audience justice for that to happen. Now, with that said, you can certainly over edit everything. And there are guys that have all the great equipment and the compression and the limiters and the noise gates. And it sounds like a robot. It's like Taylor Swift singing and everything's been auto-tuned. It's too perfect. So that's not real. So yeah, it's a fine line. I like doing this and I think I'm a sort of a, a hybrid. I think I'm a hybrid between the two. I don't spend that much time editing, but I try to make it seem like it's edited. I'd like it to sort of sound vaguely live. 
as you said at the beginning before we started recording you said is, is this going out live you know and I kind of I find that fascinating that you can create this vibe where people are listening and they don't know which way the conversation is going to turn and from one show to another it will be a different one and some will work some will fly some will grow and some will die I just made up a poem look I'm a musician um, and I think that's the, the brilliant thing about this format that you can get your voice out and certain people will grow and really love it and other people will hate it and other people will tolerate you but once again I suppose I'm coming back to the same thing it's authentic to me and it's authentic to you we haven't programmed this this is a conversation that we're having yeah and I do think that's a whole lot more interesting you've seen a lot of podcasts in the last couple of years where somebody will have 10 questions they'll ask the same 10 questions every single time and that's very comfortable for listeners that don't like surprises. It's very comfortable for the editors. It's very comfortable for the host when you don't have to follow up with things. But I think I said it to you. I don't think it made it to the tape. You told me about how the show was going to work. And I said, well, that sounds scary and exciting because here we go. Tape's rolling. You could screw this up big time. I don't think we have, though, David, so far to you. I <laughs> What do you think? Did you think this is an Emmy Award winning show? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. It's, it's funny, funny you mention awards because there's some awards coming up that, um, well, just I'll just say there's some awards that I have an opportunity for. And uh, I've been thinking about that a lot. It's like, do these things even matter? Awards. At, you know, I think people vote with their wallets. I think people vote with their listenership. I think people vote by giving you their attention. And it's really up to them. It's validation, though, isn't it? It is validation. What awards are? Yeah, you know, being nominated. I think nominations are great. I would have a problem actually accepting award. I've always had this little kind of fantasy in my life where I win an Oscar. And if any actors are out there listening, I'm sure it's very hard. But I'm sure there's a lot of you that are just pretending you, you you basically pretend to be someone else and you, you're very good at doing it and you pretend to be someone else very well and I've always had this little fantasy that I'd win an Oscar and when I got up there I'd go right thank you very much for this and to be honest it was the only show that I ever did or the only film I ever did because I just wanted to see if I could do it and that was it you know and it would just be that <laughs> validation for me that people bought yeah. into my work more than actually getting the reward you know, I could never get up and do one of those speeches and cry and all that kind of business. And it just wouldn't be me at all. It's a very interesting thought, I think. Again, working in the entertainment business, I worked with a lot of guys, and you see them in the arc of their career. And you get to the point where you're thinking, well, if only we sell 10,000 records, we'll be successful. Then they get to 10,000. If only we sell 100,000, we'll be successful don't feel successful at 100,000, then it's a Grammy, then it's a platinum record, then it's, you know, and I think that's the reason that I just don't care about awards at all, because I've seen that it doesn't really matter much. Now, if you give me money, well, at least I can deposit that in the bank. But even that, if you don't have your intrinsic internal motivation, that's not going to help you. Absolutely. I know a lot of very yeah. miserable millionaires. And very happy poor people. <laughs> I know a few. I, I I'm going to play Steve Jobs' speech in a moment because I'm, I'm aware that we're ticking on towards the hour, and I, I I need to play that, so I'm going to sort of throw it in. But I was reading a book the other day, and I um they were saying that the poorest countries in in the world have almost zero suicide rates, and the richest countries in the world have the highest. Now that's fascinating, isn't it? <sighs> yeah, yeah, it's it's amazing to me when you see these guys that are good looking and talented and rich and they've affected people with their art or with whatever they do and they're so miserable inside but with that said kind of to take it back to the beginning of the conversation we never know what's really going on inside and we don't know the full story because we're just given what marketers want us to have so I know there's always more to the story and I never make judgment on people but yeah, it's uh, it's sad to see that, that people can't be happy. 
be happy. That's what we, we don't worry. Be happy. I mean, that make a good song actually. Right, let, let's it's good advice. It's good advice. Yeah, Bobby McFerrin said that. Um, Steve Jobs. Let's play the words of Steve Jobs because although your our conversation has migrated away from this, I am always fascinated to see whether these words are relevant to your life and and other people in your sort of surrounding area as well. So this is him. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college, but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever, because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path, and that will make all the difference. Can you connect the dots when you look back? Is, is, are those words true to you? Yeah, absolutely, because the skills I developed as a musician allowed me to sell people in my business. Those skills also helped me with radio. Later on, radio helped me with podcasting. The writing skills that I had as a musician, being able to tell a story helped me with books, blogging helped me with books. The marketing helped me with books. Absolutely. You build upon those skills, and that's why it takes so long. It's not just one skill that we utilize. It's very many skills that we combine to what looks like one skill. Did you find those words comforting for others, for, for people not ready yet to take a leap of faith or to change direction or whatever do you think people will listen to those words and buy into them as much as i do and you do and other people that are creating their own paths i don't know i don't know i think we it's like the old saying when you need to lessen the teacher appears whatever that saying is I i think that you hear that stuff when you're ready to hear it i'm sure they'll touch some people but sometimes people get so caught up in their own mess, it's hard to see the forest for the trees. I'm going to ask a couple of questions, then I'm going to send you back in time to have a one-on-one with yourself on the Sermon on the Mic. And the, the two questions that I'm going to ask you is, have you ever taken anything from zero in the introduction, it said you'd rather help somebody go from zero to 10,000 records. Have you done any one that gone from zero to a million, from, from nothing to that we would recognize these people? Has there been huge successes? Yeah, there have been. You mentioned some of them earlier. Um, with that said, I, I don't like to be like that guy that takes credit for something. I always thought that was kind of lame. You'll see these guys that oh, you know, I discovered such and such. Okay, great. But the truth is there are huge teams that work behind these acts and help them to sell records, get their image together, clothing, artwork, get the songs written, get the songs produced, get the songs distributed. So I've never been in a situation where I feel like, you know, I was like that guy that, uh, you know, saw somebody on a street corner and, groomed him to where he was Elton John, for example. But uh, yeah, I've been part of some some fun projects. Because I, I remember seeing, and I don't like this program at all, over here it's called X Factor. Um, you had American Idol. And I remember yeah. Simon Cowell auditioning One Direction and they were all individual singers. They just got up and they all failed. And then he said, look, hang on, let's bring you back. Let's put you five together and see if you can work out something together, you know. And I look at that and I think that is amazing because now One Direction are like a huge band, you know, whether you like Mm -hmm. them or not, major, major, major. And he just Mm -hmm. saw these five individuals on a stage amongst millions of others and he just went, right, okay, we'll pull them together, throw them there and he's created One Direction. And that, that is, you know, that's amazing to have that skill to be able to do that. And he's done that numerous times yeah yeah and that's something i I would say that he's not uh maybe responsible for for the success as far as them being musicians but for putting them together and when you listen to one direction stuff it's obvious that somebody has touched that 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 stuff is like musical heroin it has been designed to just 
go for that vein and, and make you feel something. It's amazing. So yeah, that, that would be maybe a, uh, that, that, that would be a different situation. Those guys aren't really uh, musicians maybe so much as they are entertainers. Yeah. I, you know, it's it, it's a different thing. Certainly, having having X Factor or American Idol or whatever Simon's got his hands in, uh, you know, helps to to make things happen in a more quick way than most people would be able to do. And the the second question before you go on the mic is, where do you want your life to go? Is it going to be same old, same old that you've been doing for the last twenty years, or have you got a really big dream that you're working towards? Yeah, well, I've just sort of on musicmarketing.com just a couple days ago announced that I would not be updating that site. It's already started transition. I'm just starting to make, make it more clear, kind of come out of the closet, if, <laughs> if you will. And that is, um, that's happening now. And I've got a, a new podcast at redpodcast.com. And things are going more of an entrepreneur direction because I'm looking to get with people that aren't necessarily looking to make money or not necessarily looking to be famous, but are looking to have impact on the world. And I want to spend more time working with those people. So that's the direction that things are going now. If you told me that 10 years ago, I'd have never believed you. So I don't know that I could necessarily put those dots forward and say that I'll be doing that in 10 years, but I'm sure that it, this will get me to the next thing that I do need to do. And can you see people when, when they walk into a room and they, you know, strike up a conversation, can you see something different in people now after working with so many people over the years? Musicians, you mean? Any, anyone, businessmen, can you see a spark when you talk to people and you think, yeah, they've got something, but I don't know what it is, but they've got, I suppose, X Factor, they've got the X Factor or the American Idol or whatever. Can you see that across all walks of life? Yeah, I think so. I think there's so much that can get you off course though people change and because of that plans change but yeah there's definitely something special that you can see that might be one of those things like the dots though that you look back on it and you can see it because there's certainly a lot of really talented beautiful amazing people that don't for whatever reason have that internal drive that that it takes for them to be successful but yeah i'd like to think that i can although it's not 100 percent right well, let's see if you can spot talent in the young David Hooper, because this is the part of the show when we send you back in time to have a one-on-one -on -one with your younger self. And if you could go back in time and um, sit next to young David, what advice would you give him? So I'm going to play the music, and when it fades out, you're up. This is the Sermon on the Mic. The best bit of the show The Sermon on the Mic The Sermon on the Mic If I had to go back to my younger self, what I would tell him as far as business goes would be to go ahead and take the risk. You don't need to bring in partners and lean on them solely for the fact that if something fails, you'll have somebody to share that failure with because you're always outworking people and you are the creative force and the engine behind every partnership that you have had and will have. So go ahead and own up to the responsibility, take 100% and move forward without those partners you will not only be able to do it your way, but you will be able to handle any kind of problems yourself rather than having to share that blame and play it safe. You'll have a better product, a better service, a better experience because of that. As far as people, I think it would be beneficial for you to let other people in because you've got this wall, man, and you can't do it alone. Let people take care of you, let people love you, let people experience who you really are. You don't have to play it safe or think that you're going to get hurt. You are more indestructible than you know. Love that. 
I really do love that because I think that's true and I think I'm very much like that. I've, I've always had a wall around me and I kind of open the wall and stick a leg out every now and again and when I close it back. And I don't know why I have that, but I think that is a common trait of many people, isn't it? Yeah, I think so, definitely. Definitely in the entertainment industry where you have very, very um, injured people that are very raw. David, how can people connect with you? The best way, the brand new podcast, Red Podcasts, which is Real Entrepreneur Development, and that's at redpodcast.com. And you can get me on Twitter, David Hooper, just one word, David Hooper. And I will put all those on the show notes, and I will also put the links to Tootsie's Wine Bar and also Rick Astley doing Highway to Hell. It's... (laughs) It's going to go viral, I tell you. It will go viral. (laughs) He's known for that. Absolutely, he is. Let's Rick roll with the best of them. Well, thank you so much for spending time with us today, joining up those dots of your life. And please come back again when you have more dots to join up, because I believe... Yeah, David, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Absolutely, sir. Because by joining up those dots and connecting our past, it's the best way to build our futures. David Hooper, thank you so much. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So, Thanks for listening to today's episode of Join Up Dots, brought to you exclusively by podcastersmastery.com. The only resource that shows you how to create a show, build an income, and still have time for the life that you love. Check out podcastersmastery.com now. David doesn't want you to become a faded version of the brilliant self you were once to become. So he's put together an amazing guide for you called the eight pieces of advice that every successful entrepreneur practices, including the two that changed his life. Head over to joinupdots.com to download this amazing guide for free, and we'll see you tomorrow on Join Up Dots.